Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump inside of James 5. If you want to go to your Bible or if you're inside of your, your uh, iPhone, because of course nobody has a droid, but you know, I don't know. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Put it down. It ain't nothing to be proud of, all right? We don't boast over those kind of things, all right? All right, let me pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this morning. Um, God, we just praise you, Father, that you um, in your grace and your mercy have drawn us all here to this place, made us into a community, and that you hold us together with your gospel. Not our goodness, not our self-righteousness, but only through the power of Jesus Christ. So we pray and lean on that more and more, Father Lord, and trust you with that. Pray that you would inhabit this room this morning. Um, give me wisdom and direction on how to preach this word in clarity. And I just pray that you, um, uh, and we just release it to the Holy Spirit to do what you have done this morning. So we praise you, we lift you up, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Awesome. So we're in James 5 this morning, um, and I'm going to be doing verses 1 through 6. So I just want to start off by reading that to you, and then I'll give you a little bit of context, right? But James says, um, in normal James style, by the way, I'm just letting you know, he's, he has the razor blade out, and he's just cutting people like he normally does or whatever, right? So he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So, like I was telling you, James is coming for blood this morning, all right? So we're going to preach this this morning. So let me give you just a little bit of uh, context, right? The believers of James' day and age are suffering from the exact thing that we are suffering from in our day and age, right? They are getting lullabied to sleep by the law of riches, right? So like money, rich people, the systems that are created by rich people are pulling away Christians from the body. And James being a leader, um, being called to speak life into them, to protect them, is warning them about the allure of riches. And he is actually declaring what the judgment is going to be for those that are rich and live out their richness in a way that they actually oppress other people. Y'all with me so far? They're caught up in the world system. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we, I don't know about you, but I like to think about money. I like to talk about money, especially when I have bills to pay. Does anybody agree with that? Do y'all know where I'm coming from? I get, we, we got the, the bill collector. I don't want them coming to my crib at all, right? And so it's natural that we have to think about these things that we have to take care of every day. But what he's talking about is this a heart condition. It's not necessarily an indictment of just actual riches, but it's actually the love of riches and the deception that the love of riches can create, right? In Mark 4, it says this. It says, and others that are sown among thorns, 
and excuse me, and other and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, the word, and it proves unfruitful. So James is trying to tell them, like, don't let this thing creep in. Don't let it deceive you. Don't fall for because people are rich, all of a sudden giving them this esteem, right? And James 2, he talked about impartiality, right? He talked about being impartial to the rich because he's saying just because somebody has something doesn't mean you put them on a platform and you let them actually dictate what truth is. Y'all with me so far? So he's trying to warn them, don't fall for it. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. He's saying do not fall for the shimmering thing because he knows. If they're living and they're functioning every day in society, they're going to see something that looks really, really good, and it's going to pull them away from Christ because it's going to promise them, yo, you could be it. You know what I'm saying? You could be Justin Bieber. You could be whatever you want to be. You can be the shining light. Everybody will worship you, gather around you, gather around your talent. Riches will come to you. Favor will come to you. All these different things that actually are contrary to the heart of God, this is what James is dealing with. It's what he's speaking to. In James 2, 5, he said it like this right here. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored, dishonored the poor man. And he says, are not the rich ones who oppress you the ones who drag you into court? So he's exposing the idols. When he's talking to them, he was saying to them, like, you want to be like these people that are actually the same ones who are stepping on your necks, right? You fantasize of living this certain life, but the people that you're looking at and want to model things off of are actually the people that are creating and perpetuating the systems that are devouring you, right? You want to be like the same person that actually gives you poison. He's putting them in this predicament to expose their hearts to bring out the truth of God. So he exposes their hearts. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones and the ones who drag you into court. What's amazing about this text right here, I'm going off my notes a little bit, but we live in a country right now where like if you try to have, this is, we're reading out the Bible, right? This is thousands and thousands of years old, but if you start talking to people about systematic oppression right now inside of the church, they will shout you down and say that they're lying. They're, they're, what are you talking about? It doesn't exist. Has anybody ever experienced that? If you talk about systems that actually take advantage of people, whether it's through the housing market, we just saw um, um, Wells Fargo not too long ago re, um, get a huge lawsuit, right? Because they were giving unjust loans to people of color. Matter of fact, there was just something in the news just within the last couple of months, even with, um, with um, college loans, tuition loans, right? People of color being taken advantage of. There's systems out here. We look in the jail system right? We get the 13th Amendment, we do away with slavery, but then we replace free labor with people inside of the prison system. But now we have more prisoners than anybody in the whole world. Y'all get where I'm coming from? But there's some, but, but, but if, if we say these things, there's people who are like, no, nah, that's actually a lie. Sis systemic oppression, oppression doesn't exist. And so it begs the question, like, what are they protecting? Like, the data's there, it's very, very clear. What are they protecting? That's what James is getting at. Riches, money, the system feeds people. It affords people comfort. And he's telling the people in the church, I know they look comfortable and laid up, but also the ones that are eating everybody alive. Don't 
fall for it. Y'all with me so far? I got a question for y'all. Y'all going to think it's a little bit silly, but I think it's going to help us with the text. I had this conversation with one of my kids the other day. They love to ask me silly questions or whatever, like, you know, um, you know, would you date an anime person or something? Just, just stupid stuff. I'm like, what kind of question is that? Like, you know, like just crazy stuff, whatever, right? And so the other day, um, I'm waiting for the bus with one of my kids, and they're like, for a million dollars, for one million dollars, would you steal a piece of gum? They hit me with that one. Would you steal a piece of gum? Guaranteed to get away. You just got to go in, get your little, you know what I'm saying, piece of bubble yum, whatever you want, bazooka, I don't know how you roll. I'm going to get the, the little Tic Tacs that you pop out, the little thing. That's my thing, all right? Just got to go out there and just get one piece, a million dollars in your bank account. I want you to sit in the tension of this question or whatever a little bit because I answered... But like it, it sat with me for a little while. I kind of was like going around, like you know, it like made me kind of think about my heart, like why I had the answer that I had, and and everything else or whatever. Maybe I'll tell you later or whatever. But I don't, I don't even want to give it to you because I no literally seriously. I want you because like I think like I think I think what happens when you jump in a text like this, like in the way that that James is going at the rich, it's easy to sit in the room and be like, yeah, man, like man, those rich people, man, those rascals, and not see yourself in the text right? Not see like your heart and your heart be exposed in it. And I want us to be contending with our heart as we're reading this. Because a lot, of, a lot of us in our context or in our social spectrum or whatever it is, we have things that we're actually rich in, whether it's in power at your job or your workplace or everything else. And how do we, you know, perpetuate oppression in those systems or whatever. So I want you to play with this, this thing about the gum. Try to pay attention to, all right? As a matter of fact, when this is over, I need a piece of gum from somebody because if y'all come to talk to me, it's going to be rough on you. I'm just, just trying to help you out. All right? So we're going to jump in verse 1. It says, come now, you rich. It says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And I'm going to read verse 2 also. It says, your riches have rotted and your, gar your garments are moth-eaten. He, he, he straight off the bat is hitting them up. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. We actually saw inside of um, James 4 where he said something very similar to this. He said, um, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. In James 4, James actually calls them to repentance. He tells them to actually walk in the light with their sin. And he says, actually repent, walk in the light, and humble yourselves and basically return the Lord, to the Lord. But in James 5, he's just straight up like, I'm going to just tell you what it is. I already, already preached to you about coming back to the Lord. But for y'all who have a hard heart and don't want to turn to the Lord, I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like. I'm going to paint a picture for you, right? So he's speaking, he's speaking, he's giving them a, a snapshot. He says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. So their riches are rotten. Their garments are rotten. And one of the points he's trying to make here is they've actually pursued things that are temporary, right? 
we often talk about Romans 8 because it talks about how things are subject to futility. I love talking about this scripture because it makes me remember that it's foolish to run after things that actually corrode and diminish and fall to pieces. And if you're like me and you deal with a sinful nature and you know how to be greedy and you, and you look at things and you like shiny things also, which I do, I can sit at, on, on Instagram all day or I could go to Pinterest and I can look at houses and cars and sneakers and everything else or whatever, but I need something that helps me remember that this stuff is not worth pouring all of your energy in because it fades away. Y'all with me so far? Because it fades away. So he's telling them, it's like you've ran after the temporary thing, the thing that will not last. And Romans 8 says, everything is subject to futility, that God in his master plan made it so things actually break. So we can't build and build and build and build our idols without them fighting against us and crumbling. He kills our confidence in these things that will come to nothing. But for some who haven't been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who haven't received the gift of salvation, their rebelliousness against God is that they're going to always wage war and they're going to always consume more and more and more things. So James, he's getting on them. It's corroded. It's corroded. He says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. You have worked, and you have worked, and you have put all your effort into accumulating more. I want to read something to you. This is uh, Matthew 25. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, and to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not, to, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. This text in Matthew is the fulfillment of what James is actually saying. When James is telling them that miseries are coming upon you, when he's saying that these things that you've invested in have rotted and the garments have rotted and your gold has corroded, this right here is the response to that. Because what we see inside of the text, we see people who were greedy with their time. They were greedy with their food. They were greedy with their resources. Jesus says, I had no clothes and you did not clothe me. They were greedy with their clothes. He says, I was sick. I was in prison. You didn't give me the time. You didn't give me the medication. I think when we think about all of these things, we can actually think about some type of systemic cycle that we see that wages war on all of these things. We have, like, I went to Japan a couple years ago, and it blew my mind because I had no idea that Japan very much was like, felt like New York City. We're in Tokyo. You cross the street, you cross the street with like 600 people at the same time or whatever, you know, and so I went over there and I was like, man, this is absolutely crazy. 
I saw one homeless person the whole time that I was there. And it messed my head up because I was like, this is actually possible. This is actually possible to alleviate this. And when I talked to people there, they said, we don't do that. That's just, it's a, we, they just have a line. It's unacceptable here. We're not, if they're like, if you see a homeless person, you're guaranteed that that person really wants to be homeless. And they've chosen to be homeless. They're like, because we don't allow it. <coughs> but in America, in the land of opportunity, we have homeless people everywhere. We have systems in place that perpetuate brokenness. And it's not that they can't be fixed. We have many people who hoard their time, everything, money, their treasures are corrupt. Verse 4, he says this. <clears throat> he says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He goes into a more descriptive idea of systemic oppression, right? You have defrauded the people that work for you. He's talking about a heart of greed. He's talking about a heart of selfishness. And he says that their wages, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, are crying out against you. I want to look at Leviticus 19, uh, 13. Fellas, did I see all that text? There you go. I'm going to read it from up here. It says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. This text right here, when it talks about the deaf, when it talks about the blind, what we see in Leviticus is that the heart of God is that we don't take advantage of people just because we can take advantage of them, right? So for a lot of people, especially a lot of rich people, we, we kind of take ourselves out of situations and go, I actually had nothing to do with you, with that, right? My hands are not really on that thing. We may say, hey, I went to go buy this house. It was an amazing opportunity for me to make some money. The numbers were right. Man, I'm going to walk away with 65000 and we will not stop to look at the condition of maybe the family who's in the house. Maybe there's a mother there with kids who's struggling, who's falling into sickness. But do we care to even ask the questions? Because we're about to have a come up. You get where I'm coming from? So this text is pushing into this thing where it's like, as believers, the heart of God, the heart that he's given us through Christ Jesus is that, no, we actually care. The money is actually, the come up is not worth actually making somebody else come down. You get where I'm coming from? This is what he's doing. He's, he's beginning to expose our heart as he presses on these things. He's talking about systemic oppression, hitting it dead on. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, you kept back by fraud. And they're crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have not sought to perpetuate fairness. You have not sought to perpetuate equality. You have not, you have turned your back on the, 
the word of God, the truth of God, with loving your neighbor as yourself, and you have loved only you as yourself, is what James is telling them. Just recently, I was talking to one of my pastor friends, and he had just came back from Flint, Michigan, and he was grieved because he was telling me that in the more affluent parts of Flint, the water has been restored, and inside of the hood, people are still boiling water and still having to buy bottled water, right? He says it's just this clear line of injustice and who has value and who doesn't have value. He said, like it does, you know, he said, I had no idea. It's not on the news anymore. Nobody talks about it anymore. He said they talk about it in Flint, but it just stays there. He goes, but in the hood, it's not all good, right? Systems. I mean, it makes you ask the question, are they not, is it too expensive to fix for them? Are they not valuable enough for the city to take that L and, and fix what's broken? Do they just not make it on the, on the budget line because they don't pay enough taxes over there? How much is their life worth? The cries aren't being heard. The cries are not being heard. But we have to rejoice in God, right? Because this text says the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God is actually listening. He actually hears our cries, right? Verse 5 and 6 says this. It says, you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. He does not resist you. This is the kind of stuff inside of the Bible you don't hear often. Um, I want to look at Amos 6. But it's all throughout the Bible. God is constantly talking about mercy flowing down and justice coming down. And he is talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And he actually calls us to be givers and love our community. Did I send you all Amos 6? All right, somebody read Amos 6 for me. Out of your, uh, read Amos 6, 3, two, uh, 3 through 7. Anybody mind reading that? So I don't know if you actually caught that, but let me, I'm going to just break it down in my, in, in, with what I, what I can take out of it. So in that text in Amos 6, right, Amos is prophesying, he's talking about how he says, you sit on your white ivory couches, you eat choice lambs, right? He gives this description of this affluence and luxury and comfort. He says, you drink out of bowls. And he says, but you have actually forgot what's going on outside of your doors. He's like, you don't know that your people are actually suffering outside of your doors, right? This is Old Testament. This is the picture that's actually being painted. And it's the same thing that James is actually pushing on, right? And I'm telling you, this is the same thing for us in this day and age, right? He says, you have lived, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. He's talking about judicial slaughter and murder. He's talking about systems 
um, mechanized to devour the poor, to perpetuate generational poverty by preventing fair wages that would allow for people to flourish, right? He's saying that while you were inside, people were being slaughtered on the outside. But while you were actually devouring and living in self-indulgence, he said, he's telling them, he's warning them, he said, you're just fattening yourselves up for the day of slaughter, Right? Like most of us are about to have a turkey or whatever for Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? You know how a turkey, who, you know, I don't know about you. I don't like a little anorexic turkey. I like a little fat one, you know what I'm saying, with the, with the apple at the end or whatever and stuff. I've actually never had one with the apple, but I've seen in movies. Anybody ever had one with the apple? Okay. You do the apple? Maybe the pig has the apple. I don't know. As you can see, I'm not the one that does the cooking at all or whatever, right? I just come to do the, the self-indulgence part or whatever on, on that day or whatever. But nevertheless, like he's giving this picture like, yo, y'all about to get served up real. We're we going to glaze you and serve you up. That's, what, that's the picture he's actually giving to them. And he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Leviticus 19 says this. It says, thou shalt oppress, thou shalt not... Um, thou shalt not oppress thy neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Thou shalt not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but thou shalt fear thy God. He's telling them, you've betrayed. You've betrayed what God calls holy and righteous. And James' chief concern in this is the well-being of the poor. It's not really about their money. It's about the well-being of the poor. It is about people being devoured inside of this system. He's talking about the evil that is perpetuated because of the deception of riches. And so he's saying this and he's speaking to the people of God because he's already told them like, hey, you've actually fallen short in this stuff and you need to repent, humble yourself and follow God in it. But now he's just talking to the rich people in general and he wants his people to actually be aware. He wants them to have an understanding like, listen, Satan is crouching outside of your door and he's going to be flashing cash on you until you can make all your pain go away. But he's going to eat you alive. Y'all with me so far? But the treasure is temporary. It's temporary. It's going to corrode. So that's the hard stuff, right? That's the hard stuff about what James is saying. But can I talk about the good news to you for a minute? The gospel is good news for us greedy vultures. Can y'all say Amen. It's good news for us. This is part where I get excited. I don't feel good, but I'm going to get excited. It's good news for us. We're not stuck. Christ has saved us through the blood of his son, Jesus, to save us from our greed. I would love to tell you I'm better than these rich people he's talking about, but I'm just like him. I live my life just like him. I sold drugs, and I didn't care about who it crushed, who it hurt, whose daughter, whose mother, who whatever it was snatching up. Because the bottom line was my self-prospering. It was my indulgence, right? I told my, my kids <coughs> I wouldn't take the, the bubble gum. I told them I wouldn't take the bubble gum. Still thinking about it, actually, because I need some gum. And it just, it, the Lord might understand if I just 
Anyway, but I told him no. And, um, but it still made me think about it, right? Because the, the statement is situational. And, and, and as I thought about it, I said, man, I've stole so much more for less, right? And I just started to think through it, and I was like, man, I'm like, I really believe I'm telling the truth when I say no to this, but I realize it's not even my no. It's a gospel, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, no, that I'm even having the power even muster it up out of my mouth, right? Because I wasn't saying it for her to impress her at all, right? But it's like I just think about the gospel and how the gospel saves us from this fate that James just talked about. I want to read something to you, right? Y'all remember a guy named Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a boss dog slime ball, all right? Crooked as they come, right? Luke 19, 1 through 10 says this. It says, um, says it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. I don't know what that, anyway, anyway. So he ran on ahead and climbed up. <laughs> I hear you. I don't look like Zacchaeus, all right? So he ran up ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And then they saw it, then, then when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. One interaction with Jesus, and it flipped the whole script on Zacchaeus, right? In one sitting, he became a fool to the world, and he became a saint, right? <clears throat> a joint heir with Christ Jesus. This greed that we talked about that is so pervasive for all of us, right? It's what our flesh does. I know we would like to romanticize that we're cuter than that, that we're better than that, but I guarantee you when you start trembling during tax season and you're like, if I just carry the zero and flip it over here or whatever, then, you know, like these, these small situations that expose our hearts on a daily basis, right? That show us who we are. But the Bible tells us who we are. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The only hope we have to not dance and revel in the outcome of the rich and the greedy and to actually relish in being poor in the world but rich in Christ Jesus is through Jesus. Zacchaeus' friends would, have say, would say, man, you, you're a fool. Do you realize if you actually give away half of your wealth, and then for all the people you defrauded, which we know you, you slime ball, you done defrauded a bunch of people, and we're going to see if you're really going to do this. If you're going to give them fourfold, bro, your bottom line is going to be looking real ugly. But Zacchaeus is, 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 is willing to trade in everything, right? He is seeing eternal wealth. 
right? That no eye has ever seen, no ears heard about, and he is laying it all down because he met Jesus. I want to read something else to you. This is Matthew 10, 17. 17 through 31. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, <coughs> excuse me, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to all his disciples, how difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Then who can be saved? This text always amazes me right here because I feel like the disciples watching this transaction happen, right? They're watching this guy. He's wealthy. He comes up. He's like, God, my resume is good to go. He's like, I'm good to go, Jesus. I got it all knocked out. And then he's like, no. Nah. Jesus puts his finger on an idol. He goes, give up your money and come follow me. And this guy is sad. And I feel like Peter, right, Peter, the disciples are watching this, and I think they might have a little bit of compassion for this guy where they're looking at him because it says Jesus loved him. So there's something that was attractive about this guy. It's not like he's just a straight up just greaseball and repulsive or whatever. And, and you know, I'm surprised Jesus didn't go, you're real arrogant that you think that you've actually hit all these things. But it says Jesus actually loved him, and he said, Give, cut a check and, and come follow me. This guy's like, nah. But I think they were looking at him, and they were thinking like, Jesus, it's kind of a lot that you just asked my man to do. It's kind of a lot you just asked him to do, right? Because their response is, then who can be saved? Any of y'all ever think about, you ever go through this thing where you're thinking about sharing the gospel with some of your friends? And you think about what you've actually walked away from to follow Jesus? And but it's hard for you to rationalize it for them. You're like, I know I didn't, you know, I left the game. I don't know if they, that's hard for me to think about them leaving whatever, you know, whatever you used to be caught up in. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? Like, it, it, like you start trying to rationalize the practical part of them actually turning their back on whatever the world has, like how the world has their claws on them and actually following Jesus. And it's just hard to grab with your mind. Does anybody understand where I'm coming from? I need, I need to know y'all with me. Y'all with me? So they asked the question, then, who can be saved? And I believe they were kind of lodging that on their own righteousness when they asked the question, then who can be saved? I think for a second they forgot about who Jesus was, right? And then Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, 
but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is why we preach Jesus and only Jesus, because it's the only thing that can actually make a person who has everything the world can offer and actually lay it down to follow Jesus. You won't be able to convince anybody of that. It's a fruitless endeavor. You won't carnally get somebody to actually lay all they have down and follow Jesus. It's an experience with Jesus Christ. It's the power of God in the cross actually saving them and giving them a new heart, right? He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Even his example makes it seem like it's impossible. And he wanted them to feel the weight of that being impossible. There's many theories about what this actually is, this eye of a needle thing. But for some people, whether it's wrong or right, we get the concept. The concept is about removing baggage. (coughs) It's about there being a narrow way, and the only way to get through it is to remove baggage. There's this belief or this idea that some people preach or whatever, um, and you research it, you hear so many theories or whatever, but that there was a door on the side of Jerusalem that was actually called the eye of a needle. And it was a really narrow door. It wasn't a main door that people came in and out of the city, but it's this really narrow door. And if you had to bring a camel or anything that had side bags or was carrying something, you had to remove everything off of it or it couldn't fit through the eye of a needle, right? Whether that's the actual statement or not, the, the, the idea here is that we come to the Lord with all of this baggage removed. We give it to him, right? We give it to him. He does the impossible thing of causing us to die to ourselves. He saves us, and then he sanctifies us. He removes more and more luggage as we grow in him, as we get closer to him. He saves us from the outcome of the rich who devour people. He opens our eyes and lets us actually hurt for the systems that devour people. All of a sudden, we can see. We don't have to fight for our righteousness and say, no, that's not true. We can walk in the courtroom and go, this is some evil crap going on up in here, and call it for what it is, right? Because our prize is in heaven, and we are the richest in the room, even on our brokest day because of what Jesus Christ has done. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. For many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Look at that. When we drop off this baggage... God enriches us several times over. He has such beautiful things for us that it makes no sense for us to hoard anything. I want to end with this and I want to encourage you with something because I think for most people when we hear messages like this what we think about is that's cool but I have some real actual needs, right? Or I need some things to work out. Or like, this is a great message right now, but I have to go back home and live and work every day. And, and, and I don't know if you think like that, but I think like that also. 
And so when I look in the text, I just want to read something to you that I found extremely encouraging about living this rich life out in Jesus, right? In Hebrews eleven twenty four, it says this. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. So he refused this rich title he had. He chose to, he chose to be numbered and identified with the people of God, right? And in verse 26, it says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. If I could just bring that to light to you, what he's actually saying there. He's saying that I know that the game the world is going to play is they're going to call me a fool for what I value. They're going to actually boast and talk about what real riches are, and they're going to say, you are a broke fool. We're out here getting this money. You're over here trying to make it from check to check, and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to mock you. They're going to call you everything under the sun, but they're going to forget that you're actually under the sun. They're going to forget that you actually have a promise that's beyond anything they could comprehend. They're going to forget that you actually, by faith, actually believe the promises of God. They are going to actually miss that what Christ has actually done in your heart is that he has actually called you to trade the temporal for the eternal. It says that he was looking to the reward. That's what he woke up every day and washed, his, washed himself with, right? The promises of God, Right? the eternal promises of God, that salvation was truly his, that his sins were truly washed away because of the work of Jesus Christ, right? That God is promised to us that we will spend eternity with him. He looked towards the reward by faith. He endured as seeing him who was invisible. Hebrews 12 says this right here. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? It says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus endured because of what was ahead of him. It says he despised the shame. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So what I want to tell you today is that Christ endured perfectly for us. And then he slid that on your resume. So whether you hear this stuff and you think about your greed or maybe you are like, I'm getting that bubble gum, so I'm going to get that million. Maybe you sided on that side. You can actually walk in the light because the fact of the matter is Christ didn't get the gum for you, right? He's actually redeeming us and sanctifying us every single day. The Bible says his mercies are made fresh every, every morning, right? Every single morning his mercies are made new. So we get to hold on to Jesus and what he's already done. He's already done it for us. He's already walked it perfect for us. So we get to rest in his saving work and relish in his perfect score <coughs> because by grace and mercy he has passed that trophy to us, accomplishing what none of us could do in our own flesh. Church, let's pray this morning.
Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just worship you, Father. We, uh, Lord, I thank you, Father, for, um, number one, even giving me the energy to be here this morning, Father, Lord, and helping me push through and just to be energized myself by your word and remember your promises and your goodness, Father. God, forgive me for my personal greed. Forgive me for even romancing, romanticizing the idea that, no, that's actually not me in the text. Um, I can't even identify all the ways, but I know it's actually there, Father. But God, I thank you, Father Lord, for the gospel that we get to rest in the work of Jesus Christ. And we get to trust you to continue to sanctify us, Father Lord. I thank you, Father Lord, that you take us from where Zacchaeus was and then you flip us and in one sitting you can help us flip sides and begin to tear down destructive systems, that your gospel is that powerful. Lord, help us to not be foolish, to lean on anything else, to not lean on our righteousness, but to actually hold on to the work of Christ, Father Lord. Let that be our work. Believing. Let that be our work, Father, believing more and more, Father. God, I pray for the people in this room. I pray for the people in this room. I pray for myself, Father. I pray, Father, Lord, that we would be compelled, that we would be <coughs> thrusted forward, that we would be energized, that we would endure because of what has been done to us and what is set before us. Pray that we would believe that we are made new through you. That your mercy is available to us every day, all day long. That the old us is dead. That your promises are sure. Father, save us from the shiny things, Lord. Help us to be wise, Father Lord, with our finances. Help us to be wise. Help us in the tension of taking care of our families and providing, making wise investments, Father Lord. But protect our hearts in the tension of greed and the deception of riches. Help us to be wise in all of that. So Lord, we just praise you. We thank you, Father, for this time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.